Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you today, once again, from Arlington, Texas, one of the last Arlington shows. Uh, next week's shows will probably all be from Hot Springs, or maybe one more down here when I come back to get the last of the stuff. Uh, but pretty much this is wrapping up the last week here in Arlington. I no longer feel like this is home. It's kind of a cool thing, actually, to be in that state of mind. I, I feel like I want to go home. I'm not home anymore. Uh, home is there. That's where all my stuff is. That's where my happiness is. So uh, we're dealing with the last of the move, and we're dealing with getting the real estate agent uh, selected and signed and all that good stuff, and we're pretty much ready to go. But what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about prepping for storms. And, of course, this is a timely topic because of what just happened, the, the outbreak of, of storms and the outbreak of tornadoes, almost an unprecedented outbreak of tornadoes. You have to go back to, I believe it's 1973, to a, a larger, more uh, devastating outbreak, and, and quite a bit before that, before you find another one. So this was an historic, you know, kind of once-every-hundred-year event uh, is the way I've heard some of the uh, meteorologists call it, where things just came together perfectly for Mother Nature and completely unperfectly for the, the residents of the South Central and Southwestern and, and Midwestern and even Northeastern United States, the way these things kind of spread out. Of course, though, it was the Southeastern states and into Arkansas, into the, uh, the South Central, South, you know, Southwestern area that, that seemed to take this the one the worst because that's where the conglomeration came together. But today we're not just going to talk about tornadoes. We're going to talk about severe thunderstorms, tropical storms, hurricanes, and even winter storms. I know that may not seem as timely when we're talking about a blizzard with what's going on right now, but the reality is storms have a lot of commonalities in them. Uh, of course, again, everybody's focused on tornadoes because that's what the TV is showing us right now. But we've learned that if we react to the TV, generally we stay one step behind things. We need to be more proactive. Um, so, you know, I guess that... Nobody's really even paying attention to that anymore because for Will and Kate got married and then somebody shopped in Laden. So uh, the, the people that are still picking up the pieces are largely forgotten in the media's uh, quest for something new to sensationalize. Uh, we're not going to do that here. We're going to focus on what's going on, what's happened, and how we can be prepared in case it happens to us. I know there's actually, this was a big event, so there's a lot of listeners out there that were directly affected by this, and a lot of listeners out there that were indirectly affected by this, so we're going to try to talk about that a little bit today, too. Uh, somebody sent me a story, I'm waiting to hear back from them, actively recording, waiting to hear back from them, it's okay uh, to read their story on the air. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors, they do a lot to help take care of you. By making sure the Survival Podcast is here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one, Western Botanicals. That is the number one place that I go for anything herbal. If it's uh, if it's herbal and I need it and I can't grow it in my backyard or don't happen to have it on hand and I want it now, I go there and I get it now. I also get a great discount. I get 25% off everything that I order from them, not because they're my sponsor, but because they sponsor the MSB as well. And, of course, since I founded the Member Support Brigade, I'm a member of the Member Support Brigade. Like the hair club guy, I'm not just a member. I'm, I'm not just a found, the, the member. I'm not just the founder. I'm also a member. So if you're a Member Support Brigade member, you get 25% off everything Western Botanicals will offer you. And what do they offer you? If it's herbal 
and it's legal, you can buy it there. I mean, that's that's pretty much the limitations. Anything you can think of, they have. And they also have something priceless, which is knowledge that they'll share with you. If you're not sure what you need, pick up the phone, give them a call, tell them what you're looking for, what you're dealing with, and they'll help you make the right selections. And that's hugely advantageous. So I cannot recommend Dr. Kyle Christensen and his organization highly enough. Uh, next up today is KnifeKits.com. What I love about Knife Kits is... I'm not a master knife maker, yet I can go buy a kind of a piece together kit, do my final fit, finish, customization, and I can build a knife using supplies from knifekits.com. If you are a master bladesmith, you can get great raw materials. They also give 10% off to all members of the Member Support Brigade, so they give a great discount there as well. Even if you're not an MSB member, they are one of the most highly uh, recommended uh, suppliers in all the blade forms that you go to and you know find out who, does people, who do knife makers buy their stuff from. And time and time again, you get recommendations. Go to Knife Kits. They've got great stuff and great service. So highly recommend Knife Kits. Remember... Two sponsors you heard about today and the sponsors you hear about uh, every day you hear about two sponsors. It's a special program to be a sponsor on the Survival Podcast. I turn people down all the time. I had a guy yesterday, I want to sign up for a year. I sell potassium iodine and it's a great product because, and it was all hype around the Fukushima event. Sorry, you know, I didn't even tell him there's a line waiting to get in. You, you just don't qualify. Go away. We don't sell on hype here. You have to be approved by the Listener's Ad Council, um, and we do not take everybody. If you hear an endorsement on my show, it is a personal endorsement. Uh, with that, we'll go ahead and shorten the, the housekeeping section because I've got a little bit long with it today. Let's get, just get right into the episode. Um, you know, what I really wanted to kind of start out with is if we're going to prepare for storms, we need to really understand the dynamics of storms and how they impact us and, you know, some fundamental realities. The giant tornado going down the street totally destroying a subdivision gets all the press because it, it is what people want to see. And, and nobody wants to see it on their street, but when, when people are watching the news and they say there was a tornado, anybody watching that is not wishing for you know misery for the people experiencing it, but you, you want to see the tornado. You want to see, did somebody get this on film? And occasionally, you know, the storm chaser or just a passerby with a camera gets the, the, the chance of a lifetime to film something that they sure as hell wish had never happened. But since it happened, they, they feel fortunate to be the one that gets to record it. And some of these are history making. The one big massive tornado that we all saw the footage of in Alabama is an example of that. Uh, the, the night shots of the one that hit Fort Worth back when, uh, it was back I guess around 1999 when we were living uh, right almost where we are right now in Arlington, uh, and it hit downtown Fort Worth and the guy got the stuff on, on film, and you really couldn't see the tornado because it was rain wrapped in black, but you could see the transformers exploding is another example of that. That storm of course split in half, uh, it spawned a second tornado, an F3, which is a very powerful tornado that went through South Arlington and demolished, completely demolished to the foundation homes that were less than half a mile from where we were living at the time. And, and, and yet we had almost no damage. Now, why do I bring that story up to you? Because I think it's important that we understand that even though everybody wants to see the tornado or everybody wants to see the storm surge that comes with the hurricane and the palm trees whipping almost to the ground and the flooding, and people want to see these things because it's what we fear. And it is the stuff that gets the most press, but it's because we fear it because we want to see it that gets the most press. The reality is that's what we call active damage in a storm. That's while the storm is raging, 
And I'm going to give you some things you can do, but the reality is, depending on the specific threat, whether it's flooding, if you seek high ground, whether it's a tornado, you're seeking low shelter, um, that's pretty much all you can do is hunker down and wait it out. And we'll talk about some things you can do, but I want to tell you that most of the people on the TV that are like, just go to your safe area, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. Because most people don't have a safe area when it, when an EF3 or higher tornado is hitting a, uh, even a, a, a custom-built stick home, right? I mean, it, well, if you're in a mobile home, get out and go in a ditch. If an EF3 tornado hits any structure other than an industrial-level structure or maybe a 150-year-old house uh, built out of solid oak beams, uh, any, any kind of modern uh, conventional housing, it's going to literally obliterate it. So unless you have an underground structure, there's only so much you can do. Now, there, there are places you can go in your home that are safer than others, and we'll talk about how you can do that today. But what I want you to understand is that the fundamental reality of something like a, a large, powerful tornado or a large, rapid flooding event is there are situations where people, no matter how well prepared they think they are, based on their limitations and where they live, may not make it out the other side of the storm. And that's... That's just the reality. And then there's times where people will make it that you don't think, you just don't think there's any way they could have made it, and they did. Um, there was a story from the, the Alabama tornado. There was an older man and his wife. Uh, they were in their car with some type of an SUV. They decided to run out and grab a gallon of milk before the storm hit. Didn't quite pull that off. They were getting back in their vehicle. The tornado came right through um, the parking lot they were in. It, he was shutting the door. It, the tornado ripped the door off the vehicle. He threw his arm through the steering wheel, told his wife we're going for a ride, grab on. She grabbed onto him in the steering wheel. They held on. Um, I don't know how accurate the timeline is. Supposedly the vehicle was in the air for 15 seconds. We all know if something like that is going on, the, the, the time doesn't really uh, work in a relative sense uh, to what we're used to, so it could have been five. But one way or another, his vehicle was picked up in the air, and, and, and ended up down on its side, uh, and they had to smash the windows to get out. And both of them were barely hurt, you know, some bumps and bruises and stuff like that, but they really weren't injured in any severe manner. The guy had some bruises on his face and a little bit of cuts and all, but nothing they're not going to recover from with a few Advils uh, and, and some time to mentally, you know, de-stress from the situation. There was a family that was in a house. They showed that the house was completely, totally obliterated. And they went into basically a little closet area, and they all hunkered down and held together. And you look at the house and go, no one in there could possibly be alive. And all of them got out unscathed. Um, but you'll also have people that went to areas that looked safer, that just their number was up, and a storm hit, and it took them out. And they're gone now. There was a beautiful young girl that was going to school in Alabama. Uh, she had just left her campus. I don't remember her name now, but she's a native to North Texas. Uh, which is why she's got a lot of press around here. Uh, if she had stayed on the campus, uh, you know, it's just it, it's run-of-the-mill run luck. If she had stayed on campus and maybe had another class or something, the tornado went right past uh, the university, but it didn't touch it. She would have been fine. She went home or to a, a, you know, a place she was staying or what have you. It was just off campus, and um, she was killed in the tornado. Very, very, very unfortunately. My, you know, my sympathies go out to her family. But I, I just want to be real with you right from the beginning, that no matter what I tell you, no matter what anybody else tells you, there are situations with weather where people are going to die, even if they're fairly well prepared. Now, if you have the ability to build a true 
underground, solid-state storm structure, North tornado in the world is going to take you out. But a lot of us just don't have that resource. We just don't have that available. So, But that's the active damage component. That's when the storm's raging. Then there's what's called aftermath. And the reality is that aftermath has a greater effect than any acute situation ever does, though it's just not real exciting on the news to put a video out of thousands and thousands of homes with their lights out. You don't really see anything. During the day, you can't tell, and during the night, it's black. So unless you have like an area where like a segment of, and I've seen that on the news occasionally, you see lights here and lights here, there's a black hole in the middle, occasionally they show you that, but we all know that that's not, you know, life-threatening, well, unless you, you know, need certain uh, equipment to, to survive that runs with electricity, or unless you're an older person and it happens to be 110 degrees out uh, the day after the storm passes and you don't have electricity, or in, unless you happen to have very young children that can't deal with either the cold or the heat, or unless. And so there's all these other things that are actually life-threatening to people dealing with the aftermath. But the reason we have to focus on the aftermath to agree is because of how many more people that it affects. Because you hear it all the time. The tornadoes that went through XYZ City uh, injured 12, killed 2, but 35,000 residents are now without power. So while you feel terrible for the 12 injured and you feel god-awful for the family of the 2 killed and the people that have completely lost everything and you, know, you see the total devastation of the area that was hit by the swath of the tornado, even those that aren't injured or killed, but their whole house, their whole lives are gone. While you feel terrible for them, the reality is the number of those people is always much smaller than the number of people affected by the greater aftermath. Power outages, supply chain destruction, and things like that. That doesn't minimize the, the severe injuries, deaths, and, and life-altering damage. Okay, What it does tell us, though, is that we are far more likely to be affected by the greater swath of aftermath than we are by the acute life-threatening damage. So a great deal of our prepping has to go toward the aftermath. And I know I got there a long way around, but I really want you to understand that so that you don't make foolish decisions uh, based on things that just you know aren't, aren't as likely. And we also have to start looking at what actually does the killing in storms. Again, the tornadoes get all the press. Because when you get that shot on video and you can see half a house flying through the air, people will tune into that and will keep their attention. And we we got to know this, folks, about the TV by now. Everybody on the TV, even the people with a good heart, are after one thing, ratings. They want as many people watching as they can get. And Channel 4 wants more people than Channel 8, even when they're covering the exact same story. So they're going to run the footage with the greatest draw. But contrary to what most people believe because of this, the number one killer in America from storms is not wind. Not in the form of tornadoes, not in the form of high winds that come with, with hurricanes. The number one killer in America from storms is water. It's flooding. Uh, flooding does more killing than, than, than any uh, level of wind could hope to do, with some exceptions year to year. Uh, I'm going to give you some statistics, and then let's talk about what just happened and kind of how they don't justify, at least seemingly at first. Okay, here's some statistics from a website called floodsafety.com. Um, I don't want to do the financial damage. I want to do the life stuff. U.S. flood fatalities uh, from 1960 to 1995. Uh, the highest of any state was Texas with 612. 
California 255, South Dakota 248, Virginia with 241, uh, and West Virginia with 240. Uh, it would seem to me that some of the Mississippi states, you know, states along the Mississippi would have been higher, but uh, that's that's the uh, the numbers that are here. But I think that the big thing that we need to look at is weather-related fatalities. So uh, during this one particular time period, 274 people died of all causes of fatalities from the weather. This is obviously pre-Katrina uh, time frame as well. Um, but 203 of the 274 died in floods or flash floods. 39 from tornadoes, 12 from lightning, 8 from winter storms, 6 from extreme heat, and severe thunderstorms and wind was 6. So tornadoes take out 39, floods take out 203. Now, that might be a little hard to swallow right now because when we look at any short period of time, you know, like the global warming people always want to do, um, we can see things that are aberrations. Where the storm that just went through Alabama, they believe that the tornadoes attributed to 250 deaths from a single outbreak and 2,219 injuries by the latest report that I can find uh, based on statements made by Alabama's governor. So now you say, well, Jack, look, the, the tornadoes just trumped the entire... Uh, history uh, that you gave us with with flooding taking out more people, but the reality is in 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 day to day life, ten year stretches at a time and greater, um, it is more likely that you will face severe uh, injury or death from flooding than from wind. So that means that we need to put that on the radar and start thinking about flooding because all of a sudden, um, you know, just because there's no tornado with the storm doesn't mean that there's no risk with it. If there's enough rain and there's been enough rain, the flooding risk is real. Now, depending on where you live, it may not affect you directly. So where I live in Arkansas, if flooding ever affects me, uh, I'm looking for Noah and, and his ark because literally uh, half the United States is underwater or more before the water gets up to a level where it would affect me. It would literally mean that Hot Springs, Arkansas, the city, would have to be under about 700 feet of water. So if you were on a boat above the city and you put your depth finder on to get down to downtown would be 700 feet. So I'm not real worried about flooding per se. Now runoff, that's another, you know, the, the flash flooding runoff, the way that everything's set up there and the, the amount of water catchment, I'm still not worried about that. But my point there is just because you're at a higher elevation doesn't mean that you're safe. Now the next thing that we have to realize is I wanted again to, to talk about kind of these statistics Uh, that I have on this site. So let me pull that back up real quick here. Um, and I want you to realize out of the 203 uh, flood fatalities recorded during the time period that they're talking about here, which looks like 1991-ish, um, 136 of the 203 that died in the flash floods were in vehicles. So over half were in vehicles. Um, 30 were in their homes, um, 24 were walking, eight were in mobile homes, and five were just listed as outside, which means the least number of people that died were people in a permanent structure. So that means what? That means that when we have these big storms, the best place to be is home. No matter what your instincts tell you, the statistics tell us that what you want to do is you want to get home, and you want to get home in advance of the threat. That's, that's probably the most important thing that you can do. So with that in mind, let's start talking about some basic preps that everybody needs to have. And I believe these are all needs. 
Uh, number one is a designated shelter area, uh, for especially for tornadoes uh, and, and high wind shear storms, because I've seen storms do massive damage without a tornado. Uh, we had a set of storms come through uh, the Arlington-Mansfield area one year. I was staying with my brother and sister-in-law. My family was still in Pennsylvania. This was when I was house hunting down here to find our present home that we're wanting to sell. And um, we had a storm come in with straight-line winds that exceeded 95 miles an hour. And it did more damage financially to North Texas than any storm ever has or has done since. It was in the billions of dollars in damage. It was mostly fences. But it also tore roofs off of houses. It blew branches into people's homes. So we need shelter areas not just when the tornado sirens are going off, but whenever we have a high wind storm. The problem is it's not as easy as the smiling little blonde lady on TV tells us. What do they say? We'll get in the lowest area of your home. Well, much of Tornado Alley is in areas where the soil is not conducive to build basements. So most of the people at the highest risk of tornado do not have a basement. If you have a basement, your safe area needs to be in that basement. Uh, with any kind of wind-damaging storm, that's where you need to go. And you are very, very safe in that subterranean structure. Uh, it's, it's going to be the safest area you can possibly find. For the rest of us that don't have a basement, though, because our houses are built on clay or sand or some other uh, situation where it doesn't really uh, make sense financially and logistically to have a basement, then they tell you, go find an interior room. Well, the problem with that is that most of the homes that are built in suburbia today are built with a very open concept, and they don't have interior rooms. If you have a two-story home, your, your safe area during a wind-damaging event is not on your second floor. It's going to be the lowest area you can get to in your home. So what do you do if you don't have an interior room? What are some things that you can do? Well, most houses have interior walls. So one of the things that we did uh, when we had severe outbreaks is we have a great big huge sectional couch and we have an interior wall that's L-shaped that, that goes against it. It's part of the stairway. It's one of the stronger structures in the home. And we would take the, the, the one of the mattresses and bring it downstairs in that event and just kind of set it there. And the plan was, and the plan's not great, but the plan's better than nothing. We pull the couch away from the wall big enough to just barely fit back there. Uh, and if, if, if the event happens, we're behind the couch, the, 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 the mattress is over top of us, and we're waiting it out. Hopefully the dogs and cats will stay put, but we're not running out to get them if they won't. We call them back there with us. Um, we have actually never got to a point where we had to go to like, you know, code five and actually get back there and do it, but we've had the preps made many times. Does that mean that we're absolutely safe if we take a direct hit from a large tornado? No, but it does improve our chances of survival drastically. So the big things with your safe area is, and I know I get frustrated every time they come on the news and they talk about this, and they, this is exactly what they say. Get to your safe area now. Your safe area is your lowest point in your home uh, in an interior room. But they never tell you what to do for the millions and millions of people that look around their home and go, crap, we don't have an interior room. Now, obviously, if you have the means a subterranean or specifically purpose-built tornado structure would be best. Uh, they do things where they basically come in and they concrete weld uh, a Kevlar or steel structure into an area, let's say in your garage, that you can go into. Those things are highly safe, and your survivability is huge if you move into one of those during a tornadic event. So if you could afford it, do it. If you bury a shipping container under the ground and, and, and you know set it up with with interior props and all, um, you know uh, what do you call it? Like um, basically you frame out the interior to, 
to give it rigidity, and you go in there during a tornadic event, you're going to make it. You're going to be fine. But we don't all have that. So we have to look at if we don't have that, what can we do? And many times the best we can do is something reinforcing, uh, you know, find the strongest area of the home uh, and something reinforcing an interior wall because we don't have two sets of interior walls. We don't have an interior room. Now, does that mean when you're house hunting that you might place a house with an interior room above a house without one? Absolutely. But how many of us get into a situation where we just need a house we can afford And of the houses we like and the neighborhoods we like, that's just not an option. Because the open concept is modern American suburbia. There's not a lot of homes with interior rooms. And many times the interior rooms that are there are like secondary bathrooms. When you have that, they are good storm shelters. Don't happen to have one here. Really wasn't fully thinking that way when I bought the home. I probably would have still bought it anyway, but... It's just something you kind of have to think about and do the best you can with. The next prep you have to have is one I talk a lot on the show about, and it's a blackout kit. A blackout kit is candles, it's, it's flashlights, it's everything that you need when the power goes off, and it's all you know. It's, it's a it's a radio with batteries and and a radio that you can crank up and listen to. It's LED lanterns. It's it's lighting and communication with the outside world all put together in one place. And my belief in that is there's no more a place where it's true that two is one and one is none. And what I mean by that is not put two radios in the kit, put two sets of flashlights in the kit, put two sets of candles in the kit, put two sets of lighters or, or uh, matches in the kit for lighting the candles. No, what I mean is take it and divide it up and make two kits and put one at one location in your home and one at another location in your home because it might not even be a life-threatening storm, but when the lights go out, you don't know where you're going to be. Generally speaking, when there's a storm, somebody doesn't call you up and go, Hi, Mr. Smith, your lights will be going out in 43 minutes and 22 seconds. Please get ready now. That's not how it works. You're going along. Often you don't even think you're really going to be affected because you're out of the main danger area and they go off. If it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, no big deal. If it's 2 a.m. <laughs> or if it's 10 o'clock at night, it may be far more difficult for you to get to where you're going. So... Big on two blackout kits at two locations in the home. I'm also big on what I call, you know, the, the, what they call emergency lighting. Uh, very inexpensive. They sell for about ten dollars a piece. Sylvania makes some that I like. I've done a review of one on YouTube. But you know, for thirty or forty bucks, you get three or four of these things. And what they do is they plug into an outlet like a nightlight. You set them on auto, and if the power goes off, they turn themselves on, and they provide enough illumination where you can go over and grab one. Well, when you grab it, you can actually pull it out of the outlet, and it's a flashlight. Now it will lead you to where your your blackout kit is. So I, I'm huge on those two things, and I think those in most short-term power outages are so valuable, everybody should have them. Uh, the next one is you've got to have a weather alert radio. Now, there, I, I put them in the show notes and other alerts. So a lot of local TV stations now have a service where uh, you can sign up with your mobile phone number. And if there's a severe storm alert in your area, they'll text message you or have you called uh, with an automated message. Those are great. doesn't replace a weather radio. Uh, you want a weather radio that basically sits around quiet but turns itself on and, and sends an alert when there's a storm uh, warning. And the big reason you want this is for when you're asleep. You're asleep, you didn't really expect any storms tonight, something kind of brewed up that was worse than expected, so you weren't even on any kind of heightened alert. Next thing you know, you are in the path of a major storm, and the two of you and the kids are sawing logs. And by the time there's enough noise to wake you up, you've already got a major issue now. 
You're already in, 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 in harm's way. And maybe your bedrooms are upstairs and now you need to get downstairs quickly while the power is out because the damn thing's coming and it's already started tearing up the lines. So you want a weather radio that runs when the power is out. A lot of them are basically like rechargeable, but they stay plugged in. But if the power goes out, they stay on. That's the kind you want. And you want something that you can set so that when that, that storm warning that affects you is going on, that it comes on and wakes you up. And it may wake you up, you know, the National Weather Service has lit, you know, issued a, a flash flood warning for parts of Fannin County, and you live in the most, you could give a damn about it, and it might inconvenience you. But you're much better off knowing than not knowing. The number one reason that people survive this type of a storm is because they know it's coming and they have time to do whatever they can to prepare, even if it's just grabbing onto the steering wheel of a car. As futile as that sounds, it kept those two people alive. And without doing it, I don't believe they would have remained alive. I believe because they were not seatbelted in the vehicle yet, they were getting into the vehicle when it hit. And without that awareness and without grabbing, I mean, they were unaware because in the middle of the biggest outbreak ever, they thought, let's run out and get a gallon of milk first. But when it came down to the survival instinct, the awareness saved their lives. So the more aware you can be, the better. And I also think that you need to have an antenna for your television set. And I mean like rabbit ears or an external antenna, whatever works in your area, which whatever will get you reasonable reception. And now with digital, you either have good reception or you have no reception. Um, reasonable reception of whatever local TV stations there are in your area. Now some of you are sitting going, Jack, I live in the middle of Montana. I can put an antenna 300 feet in the air and I don't get anything. Well, then this doesn't apply to you. But if you live anywhere where you can catch signal, and a lot of times you can be further out than you think will work. I mean, we get um, Little Rock stations in Hot Springs, Arkansas with an antenna. It's not the greatest stuff in the world, but we get it. And the reason you need that is twofold. Most of us today rely on either satellite or cable. In a heavy storm, anybody that has satellite will tell you your reception goes. You don't have reception anymore. Because what happens is the clouds get thick enough and the rain gets thick enough that it blocks out the, the satellite signal and you lose signal. If you have cable, there are often times where the cable infrastructure can be damaged, but you would still have power. But now you don't have cable. If you have that antenna, you can switch the TV over to it from your cable or satellite provider, and that way you'll be able to stay informed about what's going on with things like radar imagery. Actually, you can look at the map and see, this is where I am, This is and really know, well, they said it's southern Tarrant County, but that's a big area. Is this really, you know, do I need to really hunker down now, or am I, you know, where am I at? And if you have redundant power, like something like a generator, which I'll get to in a minute, with that antenna, you can at least keep an eye on what's going on. That's why I believe those of you that have sworn off the TV, I understand the sentiment. I'm not going to do it because of things like the Learning Channel, Discovery Channel, History Channel, right? That's that's the stuff that I want to watch. Uh, but I understand why you would. And a lot of people now rely on things like Hulu uh, and all the stuff you can watch on the Internet, and I understand the cost-saving aspects. I still think a cheap TV and a set of rabbit ears is a good prep for everybody. Because in certain situations, you need that information, and your internet may not work. But in all but the most catastrophic events, if you live where you can get television reception, you'll be able to get television reception. As long as the storm didn't take out that TV antenna on the other side that's transmitting, you'll be, if you have power and rabbit ears, you can find out what's going on. Information is the most critical element in this. 
Do not underestimate how important it is for you to know what's going on. Um, next, you have to have an evacuation plan. I won't go deep into that. I've done entire shows on bugging out, but storms are the one of the major things that you're going to need to bug out for. Uh, two different ways. To, to avoid acute damage, right? To avoid the active damage component we talked about in the beginning, or to get out because the aftermath is so heavy that you can't exist where you are anymore, or it's too dangerous to be there anymore. So you've got to have the evacuation plan in place. Again, I'm not going to go deep into that because you can, you can go listen to entire shows about putting that together. You also have to have a get-home plan. Uh, when are you going to say, you know what, I don't care if my boss is pissed off, I'm going to go home. And this comes from you know something else that I have uh, listed with it that I'll kind of talk about concurrently. You have to have what I call an awareness plan. Your awareness plan isn't really something you put on paper. It's something that you live So, for instance, part of my awareness plan is whenever there's any hint of anything going on with the weather, I'm on weather.com or Weather Underground or the local station on the Internet, and I'm paying attention to what's going on out there. I'm paying attention to the warnings. I'm paying attention to the advice. And I'm making my own conclusions based on that storm looks really nasty, and its trajectory is directly toward me. And if I'm anywhere where I think that I need to be home to take care of my family or my survival odds are lower here than going home and hunkering down at home, I am going to get home. And that is not so much about a great big giant plan like a bug out plan because we all know where we live. But it's more about marrying the awareness to it and saying, at a certain point I'm going home. And men, men, you are the leaders of your family. I don't care how many women live, people get pissed off at me for that. I believe we're the leaders of our family, and I believe as men, we have a 50.1% dictatorship. It's a very selective dictatorship, and you better not overplay it. But there are certain times when you say, go home, or stay home. And if your wife doesn't like it, you don't care, and you tell her, that's what you're going to do. Get the kids, bring them home, or stay put with the kids. I'm coming now. And it's up to you to do that. If there's not a man in the home, then the woman has to step up and do that. And if your man's stupid women, then you have to take over that, that leadership role he should be providing and you have to do it. But there has to be someone in charge that basically says, this is what we're doing now. And that's part of the awareness plan and the get home plan. The safest place you can be during these events is inside a permanent structure. You do not want to be caught on the road or in a vehicle. That's where the most people get killed. So if you know the place the most people get killed, your entire plan should revolve around when this stuff happens, I don't want to be there. Now there's all kinds of things we can get into. What do you do if your vehicle swamped by a flood? Right? That's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about planning to avoid the, the thing in the first place. So maybe we'll do some shows like that. I think that would, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about there with kind of worst case scenarios and getting out of them. But you have to have those two things. And another thing that I put into this things that everybody should have, is I firmly believe that everybody out there, that if you give a remote shit about yourself and your family, if you care at all uh, for, for your home and being able to stay there in, 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 in all but the most catastrophic events, get a generator and some gasoline. For God's sakes, get a generator and some gasoline. And I know that people look at generators and go, well, they could be thousands of dollars. You know what, you can go buy a simple you know, one to two kilowatt system uh, for a couple hundred bucks and two or three cans of gas and put some st stable in there. And every time you fill your car, take one of the gas cans and dump it in your car, take the gas can with you, fill it back up, bring it home, and keep rotating it. You'll never have bad gas. You'll always have extra gas for the car. You'll always have extra gas for the generator. It's so easy and it's so affordable. And it can be the difference between 
comfort and misery, and it can also be the difference between being alive and being dead, depending on what the situation really is. There, and it may be not you personally, but your two-year-old daughter that can't handle the 105-degree heat, or your 88-year-old mother-in-law, or one of your family members that normally could, but because they're injured and weakened due to damage from the storm, can't take whatever's going on, and having power alleviates that. And let's just be, you know, more uh, more likely scenarios, having comfort or not having comfort. And I believe it's worth doing. And even you start looking at four, five, six k generators, which can run most of the systems of your home. You can still do that for six hundred, seven hundred bucks with a really good quality generator. And in a perfect scenario, you have a big generator and you have a small quiet generator. And you use them as necessary and only as necessary to make them last as long as possible. Um, obviously, some of the other things that you have to have is food and water. But I, I don't really want to focus much on that today because you know, this is a show about survivalism and prepping and modern. And, and that's just that's something you do right from the beginning, storm or no storm. That's where I kind of get into the point where we don't really prepare for events. We prepare to deal with our systems of support. But when it comes to dealing with these types of storms, we have to start thinking a little bit more about prep redundancy and not just having food and water, but making sure we don't lose that food and water. I've kind of saved that for the end today. Um, so we'll hold off on that for now. But just kind of let me plant that seed in you now. Think about the fact that you could have all of this great food supply, all this great water, and what happens if your storm if storm really hits your home hard and you look like one of those aftermath pictures on the television set? What good is your food and water if it's destroyed, collapsed upon, etc.? Think about that for now, and we'll come back to it and what we can do about that. Um, number one, though, I, I, I really want to kind of go through the major storms that we have to worry about and what specifically about them is, is most dangerous. Number one is severe thunderstorms. And I'm not calling these tornadic storms. Any severe thunderstorm can spawn a tornado, but many severe thunderstorms don't. And when you're warned about them, they're, you know, it's a tornado watch, which just generally means it could happen, but it's not likely. And they tell you the risk is moderate to low or what have you. And it's just a severe storm warning. And we have a very big tendency in America to go, eh, no big deal. As I said earlier, straight line winds and severe thunderstorms can do massive amounts of damage. A hundred mile an hour wind, whether it's going in a circle or a straight line, is a very damaging thing. And I, I've seen severe thunderstorm uh, here. Again, uh, we had top winds of 95 miles an hour. The next night, a storm hit kind of the Texarkana area uh, in that particular year. I think that was like around 2004 or five, something like that. Uh, and that storm had winds in excess of 110 miles an hour. It wasn't a tropical storm. It wasn't hurricane-related. Uh, it was just a plain old garden-variety thunderstorm that spawned no tornadoes but had 110-mile-an-hour straight-line winds. So that's a danger. Severe thunderstorms always carry the risk of hail. Hail is more of a damaging thing. It's not generally life-threatening. But in that massive storm that I always talk about from 1999 that hit Fort Worth and Arlington, uh, the part that hit Arlington and went south from here spawned some major uh, hail events. One person was killed in that storm. For all the damage it did, only one person was killed in the storm. It was a man down somewhere around Redbird, uh, Texas, and he was hit in the head with a hailstone the size of a softball. It gave him a contusion, and eventually he died. Now, the odds of that are so infinitesimal, no disrespect to this man's family, but it's almost like, 
you, your ticket was punched, your time was up, God was calling you home. But that is a possibility. But more what we really need to think about with hail is things like getting our vehicles into garages to protect them from damage. Um, if we're on the road, getting off to the side of the road. And I, I, more I think about this and how much time you know this is going to take to do just this show, we should probably do a show maybe what to do in a storm when you are caught in a vehicle because it does happen. Uh, but So I'll leave that for now. But hail's a risk there. The big one, though, is flooding. And what did I tell you at the beginning of the show? And it's the reason I did it, because I wanted to point out how many times it comes back. Flooding kills more people than wind. Uh, consistently, uh, over and over and over again, it's the flooding that does the most damage. In Hurricane Katrina, what killed the most people, what caused the most damage? Flooding, not the wind. It was flooding and storm surge. Um, the next one, though, of course, is the one everybody's thinking about now. Uh, I'll call them tornadic storms or severe thunderstorms with a high, uh, high threat probability of tornadoes. Obviously, everything I said about severe thunderstorms goes there, but then we also have the tornado, which is a game changer. It's not just the speeds of wind in a tornado. It's the circular motion and the pressure changes that it cause that can literally cause certain structures to implode and other structures to explode uh, with, with massive pressure change. And then the wind damage they do directly. But what is the main killer uh, from tornadoes? It's not the wind. It's what the wind is blowing. I believe it was Ron White that was a comedian that was talking about a guy that was some old guy that was going to chain himself to a, 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 a pole uh, in some island area in the Caribbean when they were going to get hit with a tor uh, not a tornado but a hurricane, like a Category 3 hurricane. And he said he wanted to prove that an 88-year-old man could stand up to the force of a Category 3 hurricane. And what Ron said is it's not that the wind is blowing, It's what the wind is blowing. And he said, you can do a thousand sit-ups a day, but if you have a yield sign in your spleen, you're pretty much dead. Now, he meant that for humor, but like a lot of good humor, there's wisdom there. And that wisdom is that when we get tornadic damage, it's the structure falling on us or the things flying through the air that are the most dangerous. So that's why the safe areas are so important, because as long as we can stay hunkered down and protect ourselves Uh, from what's flying around, our odds of getting out the other side are actually quite good. More people in these storms hunker down and are either injured or uninjured than die. Every single time, the survivors outnumber the dead. Even this time, even with the, the massive 250 people dying from a storm in one state on one night in America is almost unheard of. It really is. When you hear numbers like that, you generally think of you know, Miramar or Sri Lanka or some place in Africa, third world. Well, you know, it's the, Mother Nature is the great equalizer. But even in that event, the fact that there were 2,216 injured, that tells you something. It was 10 to 1 ratio of injured survivors versus dead. And it's probably another 22,000. It's probably another 10 to 1 of people that were in the direct path that hunkered down and made it. So understanding the danger comes from the flying objects and anything you can do because we can all have our safe area, we can all have our plan, we can all think we know what we're going to do, but when you start hearing the sound and you know it's coming and you know what it is and you got that sixth stop in your stomach and you're not where you thought you would be, you've got to do the best you can with what you have available. And it's all about shelter and protection at that point. Uh, the next one is one that I think people kind of gloss over, tropical storms. Uh, tropical storms can spawn tornadoes, they can spawn severe thunderstorms, so we've got that component. 
They're not to the level of a hurricane, so a lot of people kind of poo-poo them. Well, there was a tropical storm that went over Jacksonville, Florida about, I don't remember how many years ago, but it was in the 2000 period, you know, 04, 05, 06, somewhere in there. It might have been Fay. Uh, that, that name strikes me for a reason. I did almost no wind damage. It spawned almost no, to no tornadoes. It did almost no hail damage. The problem with a lot of tropical storms is they suck up massive amounts of moisture, and when they come ashore... Since they don't have the driving force of a tornado, they often kind of slow down and stall. And then they just dump rain, and they dump rain, and they dump rain, and they dump rain. And what's the number one killer of storms? Water. So a lot of tropical storms will end up doing more broad-spectrum damage than even a hurricane does. Because they have a tendency to cause more of a deluge. So if you're in the path of a tropical storm, you really got to think about flooding. Especially in states like Florida, like Jacksonville. When I was a kid going to school there, before we moved to Pennsylvania, they always talk to us, if we ever get the right hurricane or tropical storm here, this city's going to be underwater. You know? And as a kid, you're like, oh, cool. You know? Because you're, you're eight. You know? And you, we'll just go upstairs. You know? We'll take a boat. Whatever. And then, you know, 20 years later, as a grown man, it happens. And you start to realize these things are real. It's one of the things that helped wake me back out of my slumber when I kind of went to sleep for about 10 years was seeing things like that occur. Uh, one, the one that really did it, I was still in the Army, uh, was what uh, was the one that hit uh, Homestead Air Force Base, uh, Andrew. That one kind of always sat with me just because it was familiar territory. And when I saw what happened and, and, and the devastation that it did, and we had some people that deployed out to help out of Panama, believe it or not, that deployed uh, to Miami to help when they came back in the pictures they brought. But whenever you get into a situation where you have a tropical storm coming ashore, if it hits another frontal boundary that stalls it, you're going to have massive flooding. So that's, that's another risk that we have. Hurricanes, now we get a tropical storm that moves faster, does more wind damage, brings more storm surge, and has the ability to create things like Homestead Air Force, Air Force Base. Or a Hurricane Katrina event that, that affected, you know, I, I'm so tired of honestly even talking about it and hearing about New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans. Millions of people outside of New Orleans, millions of people outside of Louisiana had their lives disrupted and damaged by Hurricane Katrina. Uh, Alabama and Mississippi did not get off lightly in that storm. And there were plenty of people killed and injured and, and having their lives totally disrupted in other, other cities. And then when Rita came and it didn't knock the hell out of Houston the way they expected and they, they kind of boondoggled that evacuation, people tend to forget that it hit eastern Louis, or western Louisiana and eastern Texas pretty bad. And a lot of people had just as much uh, injury financially and physically from Rita as they did from Katrina. So hurricanes have this ability to do damage on, on a, really on a biblical scale. If you think about what a hurricane really is, It's a massive tornado. In some ways, that's exactly what it is. We've got that circular motion, the eye wall, and the backside of the eye wall, and it does the same type of damage on a larger, broader scale as, as a major tornado does. The advantage in dealing with tropical storms and hurricanes over thunderstorms and tornadic storms, though, is you can see them coming. If I lived in Jacksonville and there was a major hurricane on the way and the probability that it would hit near me was high, I would just up and get out of the way. And I might have to do that once this year, not at all next year, not at all next year, twice the following year, go five years without doing it again. So it's a reasonable plan. If there's a hurricane coming and I live in a coastal area, I'm going to evacuate. 
I'll evacuate two days before everybody else does. If it doesn't hit, I had a mini vacation. If it does hit, I stay alive, and that's what insurance is for. And because it's a localized disaster, not the end of the world as we know it, we have places of support from outside, and we can put our lives back together. And all things can be replaced, and no human can ever be replaced. So it's an easy attitude to have. Doesn't work real well with tornadic storms. If you said, Jack, why don't you just evacuate your area when there's a threat of tornadoes? Well, I have to evacuate pretty far. I have to go to a western state where tornado impacts are very, very low to non-existent. Um, and I have to pretty much evacuate from, well, um, just in the peak season, March through June every year. And then I've got kind of the little thing in the winter and November, so kind of November. So just, just certain months I just have to leave. It's not practical. And it's not like a tornado or, I mean, a hurricane where I can just back up. It, 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 you, it's pretty, there's a lot of space to get to that's out of the direct path of a hurricane where you're probably going to be fine. Uh, in, a, in a severe thunderstorm outbreak, we can have them ranging from, just like we did, from Dallas to Atlanta, Georgia. All at once. Where are you going to get? North of into Nebraska. Illinois, southern Illinois. I mean, this thing was covering the entire United half. You know, everything. Uh, I would say every almost everything east of the Mississippi, but it was it was west of the Mississippi too. It, you had to get up into like Pennsylvania, New England, Virginia, maybe certain areas to get away from the real threats of this storm. And you didn't know where they were going to pop up and where they weren't. There were plenty of places that were unaffected. Dallas was largely unaffected. We had like this hole around us this time. And I was like, for once, we're not in the middle of this. The one of the worst ones ever, and we're not ground zero. Because I always feel like down here in Mansfield, Arlington area, we're like ground zero. And if you look at the tornado impact maps of Texas, you'll see this little dark brown dot, and it's almost where my house is. So you never know. So this might seem like the worst place to be, but in the worst outbreak since 1973, it was one of the best places to be. So... The big advantage, again, with hurricanes and, and tropical storms is they are seasonal events that are pretty easy to predict, that have obvious tracks of, uh, of travel, that they do alter those tracks, but if you pay attention to them, in general, you can get out of the way. And in general, the best thing to do is get out of the way. Other storms, you know, maybe you can't do that. I want to throw a little bit in here about blizzards and ice storms. Um, and, and kind of putting them together because they have similar things that they cause. Uh, with power outages during extremely cold periods of time. And it's where things like generators and alternative heating sources are so critical, along with food and water. And I think a big reason I want to include these winter weather events is it's so easy, if you're sitting in Michigan today, to write off this episode and go, this doesn't really apply to me. I, you know, especially if you're in the upper peninsula where, you know, maybe there's a tornado or two on occasion, but it's just not something that you really fill your day thinking about. And if you're in the mountainous areas of, you know, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, uh, different things like that, um, it's really easy to write, the, write that off to them. I mean, you guys don't see very many tornadic storms or even real, really dangerous, severe thunderstorms. Some flash flooding events, definitely. Uh, but generally, it's, it's pretty well known, like, these are the areas that flood. And if you just avoid them, you think you're good to go. Well, everything you do to prepare for any type of storm pretty much covers all types of storms. Because the commonalities of the aftermath are the same. And that is being cut off from supplies. Not having power, possibly not having water. Not being able to get to food, so needing food. The 
Of the two, though, the blizzard and the ice storm, the one that can do the most paralyzing damage is the ice storm. And it's something that if you live anywhere where it's potential, you need to be prepared. And it can happen anywhere. Uh, like Dallas, Texas, this year, we had the city shut down for three days. And if you went out during those three days, uh, you were kind of a fool. Uh, you really were. It was 15 degrees, and the ground was covered in ice, and the idiots around here were not prepared for it, even though the Super Bowl was about to happen. Uh, fortunately, we got a thaw right before the Super Bowl happened. We also found out that ice can fall off of the uh, the, the Texas Stadium, and it either injured or killed some folks uh, when the ice fell off the stadium. I think it was just severe injuries. Uh, ice is, is a danger in so many ways. So please, if you live in a more northern area, understand that just about every piece of advice that I gave you today still applies to you. Um, you're not going to usually have to worry about your roof being torn off in an ice storm, but you might have to worry about it collapsing. You might have to worry about the damage that the ice sliding off the roof does. And when it comes to the aftermath portion, which is blackout kits, generators, food, water, etc., it all applies exactly the same way. And in many instances, um, when a tornado hits or a hurricane hits, if you're kind of in the outer branches of it, the time to get help and the time to be able to go get things is shorter uh, in, a, in, a, in a summer type of storm, let's call it, than a winter storm. Winter storms can literally paralyze people and, and hold them in place for weeks in certain situations. And that's, that's highly unlikely in all but the worst uh, uh, summer storm type events. And the big ones that would cause that kind of a shutdown are the hurricanes. We have time to get out. They're telegraph punches we have time to get out of the way of. With winter weather, it's it's a lot like when I talk about tornadoes and severe storms in Texas. You, you can't evacuate for most of them. You pretty much have to hunker down because if you live in a place where you get severe winter weather, you'd have to leave from like November through February or March. So you have to hunker down and you have to get through it and being prepared is the way. So what I want to talk about now is a little bit about what I call prep redundancy. Going back to that question I asked you earlier, what good is all your food and water if it lays under a pile of collapsed uh, building uh, and is ruined by water or wind or what have you or fire or whatever occurs due to the storm? So we have to think about prep redundancy. What I'm saying again is, is flooded, burned, uh, etc. gear is useless. If all the food in the world is underneath a couple tons of rubble, it's not going to do you a lot of good. So I, I am huge on underground structures as a place to protect some of your stuff. And, uh, and again, we can't all put a storm shelter in, but we can all put you know two to three weeks worth of food into an underground structure. We can build something along the lines of like what you would call like a pallet-based root cellar or something like that, where in a windstorm or a collapse, it's away from structures and we can get to it. And we know that at least it has some basic supplies in there, like you know lighting and, and maybe some of our you know other stuff, some of our other emergency supplies and some of our our medical supplies and things like that. I think that is extremely important that we consider uh, setting something up like that. Setting some type of a strong structure. It doesn't necessarily need to be underground. It could even be a container that's maybe not underground. Maybe it's above ground, but it's anchored down, and it's away from things where if there's a collapse, it's not going to be inaccessible anymore. So if we have a large piece of ground and we don't want to bury a container, having one, when I'm talking about it, the big steel shipping containers, may still be a great place to store some of our gear. Uh, or a smaller container like that. Again, any kind of what you would consider a strong structure, um, above ground, below ground, what have you. 
I also think that we need to think about building in some community redundancy, that it's really important, and I talk about it often, but I think a lot of people overlook it, that we reach out into our communities and we do develop plans for what we're going to do and what resources that people have available that can be shared. Now I know, the end of the world, the zombie apocalypse occurs, you don't want a bunch of unprepared grasshoppers lined up at your door, and neither do I. But in these types of events, holding a community together is everything. And if you can get through the first week, generally speaking, more help is coming and you can rebuild things and get your lives back together. And this isolationalism is not good for your survivability. If you look around the world, very few human beings live as hermits because we are social creatures. We build things, we construct things, we create communities. It's what we do. It's one of our greatest strengths is to ignore it uh, in the face of things like storm damage. It's just plain stupid. So don't be part of that stupidity. Make sure you have at least some working relationship with the members of your community, at least the people on your street, who they are, what their names are, how to get a hold of them, uh, who are the ones that might need a little extra help, the older lady that lives alone and things like that. We've got to take care of each other in, in these situations. Um, I also want to make sure that you know, make sure that you have redundancy in any kind of prescription medication that you have to take. Um, again, I, I think that everybody, one of the things everybody should have is a good, solid, strong box, uh, a fire box, whatever you want to call it. At least one, if not two, things that can't be replaced that aren't life-threatening. You know, like pictures, maybe a hard drive with all your pictures on it. If you don't do off-site data backup. Um, you know, uh, your documentation and things like that that you need, you know, birth certificates, social security cards, uh, stock certificates, all that stuff should be in a firebox. And those things, a tornado can literally whip one of those down the road. If you can find it, everything in there is probably going to be okay. It can go through fire, it can go through flood, uh, and they're not that expensive. And a, a couple of those are a great idea. If you keep precious metals in your home, it belongs in something like that. If you have precious metals... In the drawer of your your bureau or something like that, uh, or in a you know a bag in the, on the floor of your closet or or whatever, if you have precious metal in any quantity anywhere other than in a fireproof box, you are wrong. Uh, you're taking a tremendous piece of your wealth and you're risking it. It's it's something you definitely need to think about, and those things can be grabbed and taken with you if you decide to bug out or evacuate in the aftermath. Definitely got to have those. And I recommend that if you have some prescription medications uh, that, that, that don't need refrigeration, and many of them don't, that you have a, a reasonable supply that you keep in there. And it's a good idea then to every time you replace a refill to go in and take the, the, the prior stuff out and replace it with the newest and rotate it. And then maybe people would actually like occasionally look in those strong boxes and remember actually where everything is and what's in there. And if you're doing it frequently like that, it's a good way to make sure that when new things come along, you get them in there. And what do you do when you run out of space and you have more stuff that should be in one? You buy another one. They're one of the best investments you can make to safeguard things in the event of any type of disaster. And uh, I, I really cannot recommend that highly enough. But the big thing I want you to take away from this is that it's so important that you never do the thing that the media seems to think that we all do. And that is we take all our preps and we stack them to the roof of our garage. Um, first of all, it's all in one place. If all your preps are in one place, you're wrong. And, and there's very few times on this show that I'll tell you you're wrong. But in that case, I will. It, 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 I can sum it up for you this way. Would you rather have a $100 bill or $101 bills? 
And if you're smart, you'll take the $101 bills every time. Not just because they're easier to spend and easier to make change with and whatever, but if you lose one or one is damaged, you still have 99 more. If you lose the $100 bill, it's all gone. Okay? And that is the way to think about your preps. The more you spread them out, because there's plenty of times when a tornado hits a home and it does massive damage to the home on the east side or the west side or the north side, or it's a two-story home and it completely rips the top story off, and even though the house is ruined, plenty of things in the house are almost untouched. If I just posted a picture of a tornado damage, and I'm going to do all the pictures later this week on the blog of the tornado damage that happened in Hot Springs, just about five miles from my office and about ten miles uh, from my house. And... Uh, Inside the building, it actually ripped one half of the building off. And the other half of the building is standing. It's damaged, but it's standing. And on the interior wall of the half of the building that's still standing, right through the torn metal shards, is a picture hanging on the wall. Now, does that mean that your pictures will be safe in a tornado? No. But what it does mean is that often when a structure is affected, certain parts of the structure remain unaffected. And that means if we spread our preps throughout our home, instead of putting them in one central location, we mitigate risk. We mitigate risk of theft, we mitigate risk of vandalism, and we mitigate risk of storm. So that's something that we definitely have uh, to consider when we're, you know, when we're storing all of our gear for any situation. But the, the final thing that I want to leave you with today, it really is mostly about awareness and a concrete mental image of what you're going to do in the situation. You will almost always make a better decision if you act than if you stay paralyzed. So situational awareness is huge. You've got to have the weather radio. You've got to have uh, other alert systems set up. You've got to start learning things like how to, how to, you know watch these storms when they're not even going to affect you. Pay attention to what the meteorologist says. What are the things that makes him believe there's a tornado in that storm? So that when you start looking at a radar image, you can go, I've seen this before and I know this is bad. And I know where it's going to be bad. And we're directly in this path. Or I think it's going to skate us and maybe we're not on quite as high a level of alert so that we don't panic when a situation where we don't need to. But the more you're aware, the safer you're going to be. And the more you're aware in advance so that you can take whatever precautions you can, the more likely you are that tomorrow morning you're going to wake up breathing. You might break up with some broken bones and some scratches and a black eye in a hospital, but that beats death. And as long as you can do that, as long as you can make it through, then you're there to take care of your family and your loved ones and your community. If you fail that test, you're not there anymore. And while your personal problems are over, the people you leave behind have to deal without you. And I think that I, I don't want to be a downer at the end of this, but I want to reinforce something I said at the beginning right now. I'm not going to be like the TV and basically tell you, as long as you go to the safe area, you're going to be okay. Every single one of us is vulnerable because we're mortal and we're human, and our bodies are actually remarkably fragile. And you can be standing next to someone, whether it's a battlefield or a storm, a storm situation, and one of you can walk away unscathed and the other one can take a blow from some flying object, whether it's a bullet in a battlefield or whether it's a piece of a stick from a house that blew apart, and the person standing next to you can walk away unscathed and you can be taken out like that. And that could be you and you could leave your wife behind, or it could be you and you can leave your husband behind, or if you're a single parent, it could be you and you leave your kids behind. So you have to have a plan for 
what do the survivors do if someone is incapacitated with injury or gone? You have to have that plan. Who do you call if you can't make a phone call? How do you get a message out? Who do you connect with? Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? Where do you go? And, and I can't tell you the answers to those questions because we all have to answer them situationally for ourselves. It depends on where we live, what our community is like, how much damage is done to the community. But we've got to have a plan. And that's why you need to have things in your documentation package for evacuation and for staying put that include things like people you can call to remove trees. You know, I, I, the tough guy that says, I got my steel chainsaw. Well, when you're in traction because your back's broke by the tree that fell through your house and your wife would like it removed, please, so that they can fix your house, uh, you're not going to be doing that. So it, it's any type of services in your area because in a lot of these situations, when it's not a Katrina-level event, but it's a widespread event, it's kind of first call, first serve. So knowing who you're going to call and when, it puts you kind of the front of the line so you can get your life somewhat back together. But please have a plan, and this is not just about storms. Please have a plan for what you do if one of you doesn't make it. Not just the short term, but the long term. So the boring things like insurance. You know, Do you have flood insurance on your home? Do you know how many people have home insurance but don't have flood? And they think they don't need it. Um, in, in many instances, you don't. But you better be sure of that, and you better understand something. An insurance company will screw you any chance they can get by trying to say the damage was actually a result of a flood. So you live up on a mountaintop, and you think you're fine, but there's enough of a runoff that it does damage, and even though it was more of a, let's say, a mudslide, they'll try to call it a flood, and they'll say, you didn't have flood insurance, so that's something you need to look at. Life insurance. You know, if I'm going to be real, then let's be real. You might not make it. How much does your family depend on you to bring home the bacon every week? You should have enough life insurance to replace that for 10 years. And that sounds expensive, but it's not. You buy term, and you buy cheap term from a, from a well-recognized AAA or better insurance company. And you buy the, the you know, don't ask me who to buy it from. You call a broker, a life insurance broker that, re, that can sell you anything, and you say, tell me the best plans for me. And you tell them, if you show me variable annuities and whole life and shit like that, I'm going to punch you in the face and find another person. I want term. Most of the time, you're looking at 20-year term, term, 20-year term guaranteed renewable. So a guaranteed renewable term policy can often be extended with no rise in premiums whatsoever. And I, I've seen, uh, there's lots of different term options. I've seen term to 90. Right? I mean, it's almost, for most of us, it's going to pay off just for somebody. Uh, but the reason I'm, I'm kind of harping on this at the end is, again, the, the, the smiling little blonde lady that says, just when there's a tornado, go to your safe area. Sometimes there isn't one. Sometimes there isn't a safe area. Sometimes in the middle of a storm, wherever you are, no matter how prepared you are, unless you're under, you know, two feet underground, and completely sealed in, it's just your time. And some of us are going to check out early. And the numbers are low. 300 million people in the United States, 250 being killed by storms. The odds are low for any individual. Even if you were in Alabama. How many people live in Alabama versus 
250 people dead. Not to mitigate or put down or, or, or you know, say anything negative uh, that, that anybody that's lost somebody. I don't want anybody to feel bad if you did or you know somebody even. I'm not putting down their deaths. I'm just saying the odds are low that, that that's going to take us out that way. But every day people die everywhere. The storms are just one way it can happen. And if you are, if you call yourself a modern survivalist, and you don't have insurance, and you have a family depending on you, I, I don't know what to say. I really don't. And I've heard people say, "Better off saving my money as cash." No, you're not. No, you're not. Not when you can, you know, a, 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 a healthy male, you know, in the 25 to 35 year range can spend 130 bucks for his first year of premiums and put a quarter million dollars or more insurance place, you're not going to save a quarter million dollars in a year. And the $130 is not going to mean that much if you're gone. Uh, so I'm sorry I'm harping on this one a little bit at the end, but I wanted to put a little punctuation of reality in today's show. Sometimes we don't make it, and we have to think about those that we leave behind. And with that, I am going to wrap up. Uh, the good news, your odds of being killed in a car crash are much greater than your odds of being killed by the weather. Uh, no matter how much sensationalizing you see from the TV, use them to stay aware. Uh, have methods of awareness. Have a plan in place. And when it happens and you're in the middle of it, hunker down, find the best cover you can, and the odds are you will make it out the other side. The real things to be prepared for are that aftermath so that you don't just get through it alive, but you can put your life back together and continue to build that better life. Because that's what modern survivalism is really all about. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for